This is Dr. Frank Leon Roberts. And my name is Aldo B. Martin. And this is Finding James Baldwin. Emil Capuya was an essayist, a literary critic, and a publisher. Upon returning from World War II, Emil Capuya enrolled in Columbia University. He would then go on to write articles and criticisms for the New American Review, the Saturday Review, and the New York Times, and The Nation, where he was the literary editor for over a decade. Emil Capuya published works by Ezra Pound, Tennessee Williams, and James Joyce, amongst others. However, before accomplishing all of this, he was a student at, you guessed it, Dewood Clinton High School, where he and his classmate and friend, James Baldwin, wrote for the Magpie. All right, we're in. Boom. I'll turn that to you. All right, cool. All right, Frank, you ready? Yeah. All right, man. So we just heard. Wait. Wait a minute. You know I need to hear it. I ain't got it. What? I ain't got it. I thought you had it. But you got it right there. What do you mean? You got Sonic. But where's the, you don't have the, um, do you have. audio of Sonic? Yeah. I ain't got it. Did you do an audio? Yeah, but I ain't got it. You sent it to me? I might have. Let me just see it. I mean, we got to have the full experience, man. I might have. If we, if in order to do it, sonnet. How how you spell sonnet, English professor? S O double N E T. Okay. Yes, <laughs> we got it. We got it. Let's do it. Oh, you got it? Of course, I do. Whoop de wop. Sonnet. Go away and let me rest in peace, thou restless, ruthless, ever-searching mind. Why is it that you come and never cease to tear apart each refuge that I find? I had thought I could come and hide far from the bitter battle fray, but you have come and waked my countryside and put an end to my complacent day. Tell me, may I never hope to see some blessed refuge from the bruising rain? I thought that this was it and I would be forever sheltered from this roving brain. But now I must depart. My peace is over, for you have forced my barricaded door. James Baldwin. Here in the Harlem of 
the Valley of Western Massachusetts. Okay, Amherst, Massachusetts. Okay, I, I, I was just going to call it Amherst, but uh, you that wanna, works too. You want you want to just call it something else? That so we too. are we are in your office. Yeah. Right. So we've been through a few recording locations. Yes, we have. Uh, in Harlem. Yeah. Your place in Harlem. My place in the Bronx. Yeah. And now your office here in Amherst, Massachusetts. Yeah. And we just had the uh, the talk a few hours ago. Yeah. Podcasting as public scholarship. Shout out to your students. Yeah. What a great group. I had the liberty of sitting in class with these young people, and I learned a lot from them. I was really impressed with... There's some names that I remember, and I want to say the names, but then there's some names that I forgot, so I don't want to disrespect yeah. anyone. I don't want them to feel left out. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. you know who you are. Absolutely. And there were some people in there whose ideas I might be stealing, but I will reference them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so will it's not proper, stealing. Properly yeah. reference them, you yeah, know? Yeah. But I'm definitely biting your style. Yeah. But anyhow, it was a really wonderful experience just speaking with those young people about what James Baldwin meant to them as they're learning about him or already knew about him. So shout out to them. And then we had the uh, the talk, right? The talk. But we'll save that for another conversation. No, it was so great. it was a good time. And just for everybody. And, go ahead. And, you know, Amherst, you know, what we've been doing in this podcast is we have been trying to descend or ascend, however you want to think about it, in the spaces, the, sub, the various subterranean spaces that Baldwin himself found himself floating in. He was in Harlem for so many years. Of yeah. course, he was making that commute to do at Clinton High School in the Bronx for so many years. Yeah. And he also passed through Amherst, Massachusetts. His final appointment, his final academic appointment prior to his untimely passing in 87 um, for many in years. Ni- 1987 for the audience. 1987. Yeah. Um, he, was, um, he had a professorship in the five colleges. The five colleges is a consortium of five... Colleges in, this, here. in this area. Yeah. So UMass Amherst, Amherst College, yeah. Mount Holyoke, Hampshire College, and Smith College. And so okay. Baldwin, all five of the colleges sort of shared Baldwin. Yeah. He was primarily appointed at UMass Amherst in the Afro-American Studies Department. But he came through Amherst College many, many a day. And in, fa- in fact, one of his most famous- um, uh, One of his last speeches, if I'm not yeah. mistaken, was recorded here. Yeah. Was that yeah. Amherst? I think Amherst it was 86, College. maybe 85. I think it might have been 85. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sounds about right. It was a good year. You were about what, 10 years old? <laughs> you wish. You wish, dear brother. You wish, dear brother. <laughs> I'll tell you something about 85, man. I had a mustache and three jobs in 1985. But anyway, I'm stealing pacifiers, that's, man. that's a whole other story. Matter of fact, at one point, I will tell you my Martin Luther King slash, no, excuse me, my, my third grade play, mm. which involved Martin Luther King and Leather Pants. Oh why! I'm, but I, that's another. I'm story. horrified at that's that visual. Another, that's another story. That visual is a crime. Just understand, yeah. as an eight year old boy, mm. I was in my play, third grade play, wearing leather pants. Oh my! 1985. Oh my! But that's another story. Anyhow, uh-huh. anyhow, sonnet. The word intimidates me. Mm. Because it's a poem that uses fourteen lines and a certain economy of words. And I'm thinking, do I have the capacity to write a sonnet? Mm -hmm. Do I have the discipline, the economy of words to write a sonnet? Mm -hmm. Because someone who attempts to be a poet or attempts to write poetry, I think there's some level of, of, of knowledge of the language, whatever language the sonnet is written in, and... A wordsmith, right? Yeah. Someone who's a wordsmith. And I'm certainly not that. So I applaud young Jimmy here for giving that some effort. 
So that, just just by itself, for me, it's a feat. Well, you know, the word sonnet coming from that Italian word, sonetto, 13th century word. Um, uh, again, you know, to the point that we've been making um, for some time now to remember that uh, many of these early writings, Baldwin is attempting to demonstrate mastery. mastery. So it actually makes perfect sense that he is attempting to sort of lean into the sonnet form as a way of kind of demonstrating his literary mastery. And so um, that's what I think of when I think of that title. I don't even know if we have to necessarily talk about what the poem is about. Do we at this stage? Absolutely. You think so? Absolutely. Did you notice anything different on this poem that was different from others? Well, this is shout out to Sister Stormy um, at Amherst College one of the brilliant students, one of the 30 students in the um, James Baldwin seminar that I teach here at Amherst that we had the pleasure of having you as a guest, um, really did help um, offer a really nice interpretive frame to think about this she poem. Did. How could I forget? Yeah. I apologize. Okay. What is wrong with me? Yeah. That young lady had an interpretation that I had never thought of. Mm-hmm. Never thought of, but please go on. Yeah, I mean, um, I may actually butcher the interpretation. It was much, much richer than the one I'm about to provide. But essentially, one of the things that Sister Stormy was um, calling attention to is all of these sort of metaphors of departure and flight. Yeah. Right. That this is in so many ways an exit poem that is sort of hidden in the romantic language or pre-romantic language of the sonnet form. Right. And so... um, uh, in the sense that, you know, there are references to tearing apart, ever searching, let me rest in peace, go away, blessed refuge, I must depart. And so we think about this is written in 1942, the winter of 1942. Published in 42, probably written in, written in, 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 the, in, in winter 41. 41, right? Yeah. And so what do we know about Baldwin at this time? He has, he is about to graduate Dewey Clinton High School. Remember, this is a brother who graduates a semester late. Yes. Can we just stop there for a second? Okay. We talk about why we should never be giving up on our children and our young people. Yeah. Right? What does it mean that James Baldwin, who b- received a 62 in his freshman year yeah. English class, okay. actually had fallen behind in his studies, yeah. in his grades, and gra- was a late graduate of Dewey Clinton High School. Correct. He did not graduate on time. Correct. The irony there, right, to go on to become such a literary genius. But so we know that this is a poem where Baldwin, is, this is this poem is written at a moment in Baldwin's life when he is thinking about a kind of departure. Yeah. He has spent the past four years enmeshed in this literary world where he is surrounded by the likes of people like Emile Capuya mm-hmm. and Sol Stein yeah. and Richard Avedon. Yeah. Um, and he is in collaboration with them and they're keeping him on his toes and they're yeah. experimenting in these literary forms like the sonnet form. And so here we have this poem, Sonnet, which opens with this sort of elegiac. Elegiac? Elegiac, elegiac. First of all, you, you know my <laughs> my English is limited. Can you can you please opine and tell me what does that it's mean? First of all, did yeah. I just say my English is limited and then I said can you opine? Opine, exactly. Never mind. You know what? My bad. I played myself. Listen, That's what it you know, is. You know better. But go on. What does no, that mean? The word simply means it comes from the word elegy, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, a kind of... Um, uh, there's something about the quality that is melancholic or is, or is, or is mourning okay. the loss of something. And so... Okay. 
go away and let me rest in peace or let me be in peace. Let me rest in peace is the actual phrase. This is a poem about a person who is departing somewhere. And so all that is to say, and this was Sister Stormy's point, we might do well to think about this poem as Baldwin's attempt to let go of the magpie and his time at the magpie years as it's coming to a close. No, no, no. I I think it was, she had something different. Mm. I think she said it was his departure from the church. Oh, that too. Ah, right. Because she said, she said, this is, this is synonymous with that time. This is synonymous. And what she did was she, she broke it down. She was, she was like, well, listen, I'm looking at the years. That means he was this age. Yeah. And then all this other stuff. So I was just sitting there in awe of this young lady. And she thought it would, this was in conjuncture with, him departing from the church. Yeah, that's actually, I'm sorry. So that actually is the more, that is a much more accurate reading. It makes, yeah. I think actually both readings work, but Indeed. certainly Indeed. the reading of thinking about Sonnet yeah. as um, a reference to a kind of letting go of the church. Yeah. Where he's saying, I must depart. Yeah. Is there some bless, blessed refuge? What would it mean to think about this poem in some way? As a kind of elegy or goodbye to, to Baldwin, the, church, the preacher. To the church. Yeah. And I think that's a perfect segue for us to introduce the next poem. Okay. All right. This is, again, where we're going to attempt to uh, demonstrate or show Baldwin in conjunction with his peers. Yeah. What are we going to listen to, Brother Allen? And so we're going to listen to a poem called Untitled. Actually, it's not called Untitled. It's just Untitled mm-hmm. by one of his classmates, that? by Emil Capuya. And who was Emil Capuya? Well, I already said in the introduction, but I'll say it again. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so Emil For Capuya. For the slow folks like myself, who needed twice? <laughs> who needed one more again? So Emil Capuya was one of James Baldwin's best friends. Yeah. Right? And I think His that's putting friend. it mildly. Yeah. Because you mentioned, just before me segueing into this, you mentioned that Baldwin leaves the church, yeah. right? And and Stormy, one of your students, suggested that this poem is about that. Mm-hmm. Well, when he left the church, who's he leave with? He left with Emil Capuya, hey. in the sense that, and I mean that in a literal sense, where he was at church, he gave his final sermon, yep. and then he was going to the movies from the Book of Amos, <laughs> set thine house in order, and he was gonna he was going to the movies, yeah. and with Emil. And the literary, just a quick, so if we want to get real nerd land in it, yeah. the literary history is unclear because, right, in one rendering, uh, he says that he left the church to go to the movies. Yeah. In another essay, he says that he left the church to actually go see um, the Broadway production of Native Son. So we don't know. We know he had a theatrical Either way, Emil experience. Capuya was involved. But it was definitely, brother. I mean, even though, FYI, Emil Capuya came out many years later and was like, Nah, that wasn't me. <laughs> but we're going to trust Baldwin all the way. You know what? I just, do, I do yeah. have friends like that who yeah. do tell stories. And sometimes I don't even bother correcting right. them because they look so excited right. to say that that's how it happened. Right. And I'm like, hey, you know what? If if yeah. I'm cool in your story, yeah. I'm not going to argue. For our purposes here, <laughs> yeah. we're going to say that it was Mil Capuya. And we certainly know that this is a man who played a key role in Baldwin's life. Yeah. And also went on to have his own distinguished literary career as Absolutely. the editor of The Nation, among many other publications. I'll tell you what. Years. I'll tell you what. Let's listen to it first. Yeah. And then I want to hear more about him and The Nation. Yeah. And all that other fun stuff. 
This is my favorite street, you said. And that is the promise you made me. The faint, equivocal, unwitting promise of your return. I have seen your street since in the night as well. Indeed, often it's that night. And sometimes, in the strip of sky it owns, caught fleeting sight of stars whose names you know. And sometimes, turn my collar up against the rain. But I shall not see it when autumn, from the park, details a reckless file of leaves to wait for errant gusts. Like footpads at the corners, I shall not see it, a dull winter white, in the dark afternoon. You will be gone before the season of snow and before the time of bare branches. Your dark windows will mean nothing in the night. My throat will not throb, my hands will not be wet, for the shadow on your lowered window shade. love that and here's why moments like that remind us moments like what moments like the poem hearing the poem that we just heard from brother Emil Capuya yeah um and the way in which the language resonates with earlier pieces uh of Baldwin's magpie writings that yeah. we've that we've shared on air yeah reminds us as listeners that Baldwin was a part of a literary community. Yeah. And that I want you to think about like young schoolboys in, you know, maroon blazers or navy blue bla- blazers, very dead poet society. Okay. Um, who were like kind of jocking each other as like who can be the greatest literary nerd and everyone's is sort of pie in the sky, head in the clouds, where they're writing poems to each other. And that's important because very often when we think about James Baldwin, we like to think about Baldwin as this sort of black baby genius child that emerges in a vacuum or drops, you know, out of the air or out of the ocean like Aphrodite. Um, but in fact, Baldwin belonged to this rich and robust literary community. That's right. That was really pushing him. And so I just love hearing the poem by Emil Capuya and, and hearing the shades of Baldwin. But then, would ask, but then the other way to frame that question is, do we really hear the shades of Baldwin in that Kapuya poem, or actually, have we been listening to the shades of Kapuya in Baldwin's earlier poems? I want to say something to the audience. Yeah. <clears throat> I love Frank's point about, again, us showing Baldwin with, in conjunction with his peers. Yeah. Yeah. And I like to think that this, this healthy uh, competition yeah. helps spur the works that we're reading now, right? right. And help to make Baldwin into who he is today in, on, in some degree. But we're reading Emil Capuya and we're reading James Baldwin because we know them. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other writers in the Magpie. That's true. A lot. And I'm wondering, would the audience care to hear about those guys? If the audience, if you'd care to hear about these other people that have written, mm. send us an email. You got the link right there in the description. And we'd love to know. Absolutely. We, we, we'd love to know if you want to know. Because if you want to know, we could tell you. Absolutely. But we'll leave that alone. We'll leave that alone. I love this poem for the simple fact that it is James Baldwin's counterpart. Yep. When James Baldwin found out that 
his father was not his real was not his biological father. Who did he tell that to? He told that to Emil Capuya, right? So, for the audience, maybe you're a high school student, maybe you're a person that graduated from high school. Think about your time as an adolescent. Who was your best friend? Who did you tell these things to? And think about that, and think about what that means for James Baldwin, and to be in a school yeah. where he is on the outside looking in. Yeah. That picture of yeah. him with the literary squad, right, yeah. with those fifty boys. James Baldwin That's standing right. on the right, right? right, the only black kid there. And even in hearing him describe his high school experience, he was on the outside looking in. But even in that place, he found a confidant. Yeah. Is that the right word? Confidant. A confidant. Excuse me. Wrong <laughs> wrong emphasis on the right. wrong syllable. <laughs> but anyhow, uh, and I think that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful that, that, that James Baldwin, at the very least, had a confidant in high school at that time. Because we know adolescence was not an easy time for him. And let's stay there for a minute, right? We know that this is also around the time of one of Baldwin's first suicide attempts, right? Mm. Um, um, which happened during, you know, and in the history with Baldwin's suicide attempts, we've talked about this before, is unclear. You know, yeah. some people will say three times. Some people will say four times. Some people will say the earliest attempt um, was in Paris. Some people will put it early as the adolescent years. Yeah. What we know about brothers like Emil, Capuya, Sol Stein, Richard Abaddon, is that these young men who were all Jewish brothers, yeah. Um, yeah. American Jews in, in New York, um, uh, they kept him alive. Yeah, they did. And this poetry kept him alive. You can almost yeah, they did. hear in hearing that poem, like I'm kind of thinking about, can't you just imagine the scene of little Jimmy B yeah. and... This black boy and this Jewish boy oh, in the playground, man, reading man, each other poetry, man. giving each other life. Man, you see, man, I was like, listen, we're going to make this a 20-minute episode. but And I was ready. I was ready to say, Frank's going to close it out right here. But you just said something that's now spurning me to talk some more. Yeah. Dude, is it possible? Am I far-fetched in saying whether... We can agree that James Baldwin attempted suicide at 13 or 15 or 18 or 20. We don't know. Right. The point is he did. Absolutely. Many times. Many times. Yeah. And it's safe to assume that he might have been struggling with this a lot longer. Absolutely. Than people probably Absolutely. knew. And for teenagers to commit suicide, that's not new. It's not yeah. unheard of. It's not uncommon. Yeah. It happens. So your statement in saying that the magpie and this brotherhood he had with these guys kept him alive, yeah. I think that's worthy of conversation. I think that's worthy of going Absolutely. into, you know? Well, that's the thing about very often when we talk about James Baldwin and we talk about those who fall into the category of sort of black creative genius more yeah. broadly, yeah. We, we like to talk about the gifts without yeah. talking about the demons that yeah, they wrestled with. Yeah, and yeah. very often when we talk about Baldwin, we think about Baldwin as this arbiter of great wisdom and knowledge. But we don't talk about this long, lifelong battle with suicidal ideation. Yeah. And so what a miracle Baldwin was and yeah. how grateful we all should be that he decided to breathe. Yeah. Right. Um, and... In this early moment, 
we see the kinds of stuff that he was doing to keep his spirit alive. Yeah. Including these poems, including these sort of literary collaborations with folk like Emil Capuya. And that's important because when we tell the story of James Baldwin, we have to remember not simply the great writer, Mm -hmm. but also the hurt little boy Mm. and then hurt grown man who was struggling to survive in a world that is perpetually and perennially anti-black. Mm. anti-queer, anti-poor, anti-critical thought. And so part of the miracle of James Baldwin has always been, and the miracle of of all the James Baldwins out there, of various genders and sexualities and identities and classes, is the capacity to live and stay alive in a world that would rather see it another way. And so cheers to Brother Jimmy B, Little Jimmy B, writing little sonnets, in the schoolyard of Dewitt Clinton High School with brother Emil Capuya, a black boy and a white boy, holding hands together metaphorically to keep each other alive. You know, watch out there. You're stepping in something. You're stepping in grease. Because <laughs> you're cooking with it. <laughs> Mm-hmm.